Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. Last week as we, as we looked at chapters 5 through 7 and mostly uh, Stephen's life, uh, we looked at his faithfulness to serve in the midst of the attacks that came from, from broken people and uh, broken religious people uh, that they brought his, we saw that his whole and healed heart helped him to love, serve, and give away in spite of what was happening around him. Um, and in chapter eight today, we're looking at the remarkable story of another young servant named Philip, not to be uh, confused with Philip the disciple, but this is Philip, the one who was chosen in that seven group, that group of seven men that were what we call the first deacons. Um, uh, and, and we're going to see today that when this young Jesus church gets squeezed, a guy like Philip and, and the rest of them in that church community uh, of 5,000 plus that was growing, um, he just sees that as an opportunity to, to get out. He's like, hey, if you're going to squeeze me, I'll just squish through your fingers and, and go and tell the gospel uh, over here. He, he let the squeezing send him on mission. And, and it's where we get our big idea today of asking the question, are you letting tough things in life hold you back? Or will you love, serve, give, even when and even if? Thanksgiving's coming up. Some of you may have people at your house, family. Uh, maybe you're going to the house, uh, and there might be squeezers there. Are you going to let that give you an opportunity to love them like Jesus would, or are you going to respond in kind? Uh, those are things that we deal with here. Christmas might be the next go-round. You might go to their house, they come to yours, and you're like, I don't want double squeezing for, for the holidays. I just want happy and joy and smiles. But, but sometimes there's broken people, and, and they cause issues. And are you going to let that be an opportunity to love them, serve them, and give to them in spite of what's going on? Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, verse 24, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock, that unshakable foundation. He says when, when torrential rains come, when, when windstorms come, when, when floods rise, if you're built on me and you're following my words and doing my stuff, obedience, you won't be rattled. You won't be. So let's... Let's pray and ask God to bless our, our, uh, our message today. Lord, I, I thank you that all throughout Scripture, from the Old to New Testament, you encourage us and challenge us and exhort us to trust you in the midst, trust you even when, trust you um, no matter what, that, that as we look to you and live the way you call us to, that that you will do amazing things in us and through us and from us, even beyond our influence uh, at that time or in that place, that, that you, will, you will move in people's lives in spite of what we might be walking through as long as we keep our eyes up. And like, like James says, that, that we, would, we would be hearers of the word and doers of the word so we're not fools and we're not fooling ourselves. So would you bless this message today? And I pray that hearts would be open to what you have for us and um, that we would walk out of here closer to you, Jesus, more like you, Jesus, and even 
committed to what you ask of us. In your name we pray, amen. So there's this passage in Isaiah chapter 30, uh, verses 18 through 22, I wanted to read, and it really goes so well with what we're studying today in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And, and it's, it's God basically saying, I'm going to bless you. If you'll follow me and you're my people, I'm going to bless you in spite of the stuff going on in your life, uh, as long as you keep your eyes up. So it says this, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. And it's not that he's like, hey, I'm sitting there hiding from you. He's saying, just if, if you're willing to receive it, that's, that's what it, it means. If you're willing to receive what he has for you, he'll, he'll pour it out on you. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. O people of Zion, it could be followers of Jesus who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink. Hey, wait a minute. I don't really like that so much. But he goes on. He will still be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. So when you're squeezed, you'll see him and hear him as long as you stick around, as long as you keep eyes up. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether uh, to, the, to the right or to the left. He's saying, I'm right there if you will keep looking to me. Then you will destroy all your silver idols and your precious gold images. You will throw them out like filthy rags, literally minstrel rags, minstrel, clo minstrel cloths. That's, that's what the original was. So and nobody wants those around, right? He's saying you'll, you'll get rid of the junk in your life that tries to replace me like those kind of filthy rags as you live eyes up, eyes on, obedient to. You'll say to them, good riddance, like we all would in a, in a regular setting. We'd all say, good riddance. I don't want to just keep that around. Verses 20 and 21, basically is telling us that it's, it's always better to be uncomfortable and in tune with the Holy Spirit than to be comfortable in our own and miss out on what Jesus is telling us. Being squeezed doesn't always feel the best, right? Anybody like squeeze me Jesus, right? <laughs> Unless it's a hug, we're not a squeeze fan, right? None of us would be like, I can't wait for hardship. Nobody really wants that, but but here's the thing, it's so healthy and helpful for us. Squeezing can be really good for you. It, it made me think, when I think of squeezing, it made me think, I, I used to play, I played soccer in high school. I went to private school, so back in the day when I went, uh, soccer was uh, early in the year at, because private schools were basically the only ones who played it. Public didn't as much. Now it's smartly in the spring, uh, for, for guys at least. Uh, but we used to have the two-a-days in August in Texas for soccer. Nobody, wa nobody, nobody wants two-a-days in August for soccer or for in Texas, right? Because it's painful, but, but it was worth it for me. I think of right now, uh, Burnett High School football, doing great, right? We just like upset Davenport. Only people who bleed green believe that could even happen. And some of us were like, man, if we, stay our, if we play our game, we got a shot. And then it happened. We're like, I had no idea we could do it, right? So this is a school that's basically run through everything. It's going to be 6A soon. And, and we met them in district. And we played our game and we beat them. And here's the thing, if at the beginning of the summer or the middle of the summer when, when practice started in, in, 
in Texas, which it was already, you know, a month and a half into baking at 100 degrees, and then you're asking students in the summer to go out and sweat more, get up early and sweat more. In fact, the earlier you get up, uh, the, the, the less sweat you can have, but it means you're getting up at 5 a.m. or something. A lot of people would be like, you know what? Let's just sit in the AC and watch video, like football videos. And then we'll play, but, but at least in the summer, we won't sweat so much and we won't get bruised. I won't get hangnails from somebody like that I, you know, block wrongly. Uh, and you know what? This, this, we'll, we'll lose a lot of games. And November, you know, the first weekend in November will roll around, the season will be over, but we won't have sweated much or be bruised. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to sweat like a good Texan does uh, in August, and I'm going to get bruised, and I'm going to be in pain, and I'm going to hit the weight room, and I'm going to listen to my leaders, my coaches, and I'm going to do what they say, not what I think, and I'm going to learn how to be a community, a team, and function together. And with that, you have the opportunity to say, hey, I'm looking at the playoffs. In fact, I'm staring down the district championship. But you make a choice. I'm either going to mail it in and not feel anything, and that's the best it'll ever get for me, or I pay a price, and then when the squeezing happens in my physical body, because in this we're just talking about football, but I'll, I'll get squeezed, but there'll be a reward for me. And the reward is great. And even if, for some reason, somebody gives it their all and they, and they don't get maybe the playoffs reward or the district championship reward, they've done everything that's required of them to do to grow as a young person. In the, talking about football. And so Jesus is talking here and he's saying, hey, you're going to have some adversity. You're, you're going to have some struggle. But if you'll stay the course, I'll stand right behind you and I'll say, go left. Go right. Stop, talk, look. And we see that played out in the life of, of Philip here in, um, in chapter eight of the book of Acts. Because as we follow Jesus, God's powerful promise for us today is exactly what he said in Isaiah 30. Your ears will hear him, he will teach you, his voice will be right behind you to say this is the way you should go. All we're asked to do is posture ourselves in his presence. Now we do something with that, but if I'm willing to posture myself in his presence in receipt mode, I'm going to obey when he says it. Because the disobedient ones don't even put themselves there to hear from him. So if you put yourselves there, place your life there and say, Jesus, show me what to say, where to go, when to go how to go, what not to say, what to have grace in, what to speak a little more, like maybe sternly in, you tell me. Because when you tell me, it's perfect. Just help me to hear it. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we're going to pick up with, and of course, Stephen was just stoned to death last week as we read it, and Paul was right there, and it starts off, uh, the apostle Paul was written as Saul at the beginning here, um, Saul of Tarsus. So it says in verse eight, or verse one of chapter eight, Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution, squeezing, began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem because they were all in Jerusalem. 5,000 plus growing daily, all in Jerusalem. 
And all the believers except the apostles were then scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So this is the scene we get. Heavy persecution comes, big squeezing comes, and most of the people of the church, they didn't scatter out of fear. They scattered because, hey, we just got, you know, we just got pounded, but we're going to go, and Jesus changed us, so we're going to go talk about Jesus. Stephen got squeezed to the point of death in the previous chapter so that everyone around him, including this guy named Saul, who would become a tormentor of the church, who would become basically like a terrorist of Christianity so that they could hear the love of God, the love of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. They could hear his story. And, and yeah, it got a little worse. Or maybe for some it got a lot worse. But, but that squeezing had a plan because God needed the 5,000 plus to move out to get to Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. The believers flee to the very places Jesus said they would go. When we, when we did Acts chapter 1, he said, you'll be my witnesses. And he says where they would be. They're, they're going to these places now. And so as a result of this squeezing, the message of Jesus gets spread rather than being hindered like the enemy wanted. The spread of the gospel excels as hardship comes. And Jesus said, opposition and persecution against my church and those who follow me and believe in me will happen, yet the church will triumph as a result of it. The church. Now, that means individuals too, but he's saying always as a community of believers, as a fellowship, as a church body, the individual families all over the globe, as, as tough times come, you will flourish if you keep your eyes up on me and keep doing the things I ask of you. Whatever you go through, whatever squeezes you can be used to tell the story. So a question I have is, are tough things holding you back or giving you an opportunity? At work, a lot of you work in tough settings because of people, because of leaders or coworkers or customers, and it's tough, and they're not kind, or they're just so demanding, or they're, the, the, what they're trying to exact upon you is hard. Are you using that as an opportunity to become bitter or to, to just love them in spite of the setting that they're creating? In your family, there may be some turmoil and struggle, but are you using that as an opportunity to, to love on those in your family, in your community that you live in? Are you using tough times and maybe some squeezing, maybe some bad attitudes towards you or Christianity to just show them the true love of Jesus? Verses 4 through 17 goes on to say, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Wait, did I miss that? A man named Simon who... 
<laughs> I'm going to reread it because in my mind, I'm reading it wrong. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there. Okay, now we're back at it. Okay, verse 10. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, this guy Simon, because he was a, basically a magician, a mystic, uh, the power of God, they called it, but he didn't know Jesus at the time. They listened closely to him for a long time because he astounded them with magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many women, men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed at the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. If you want to go back and, and listen to the message on chapter 2 of the book of Acts, it kinda, we kind of explain that a little more. Um, they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John, in verse 17, laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So even though the story of Simon's an amazing story, we're kind of going to skim over that. We can talk about that another time if you want to ask me about it, because uh, I didn't really feel like that Lord wanted us to focus on Simon, except for his salvation there. Uh, but when you look at this journey of Philip's to Samaria, the reality is good religious Jews never went to Samaria. You didn't even go through Samaria. You went around, even if it cost you like hours and maybe days of travel just to avoid Samaria. You never went there. Yet Jesus, we know that he said in Acts 1, you'll be my witnesses there. And we know he has the great, you know, time with the, the woman at the well and, and, and all of that. And, and so Jesus had a heart for it. We, we think of the, the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus tells. Uh, that story was, was one that incited probably a lot of anger in good religious Jews because the fact that he uses the Samaritan as the good one who did the right thing. Um, but but he, here it is, Jesus said... Before, right, in Acts 1, I think verse 8, you'll be my witnesses, and Samaria is one of them, and then he gets lifted up into the clouds, right? And so it's like, whoa, that moment that's crazy and wild. He, he said, you go to Samaria as well as the ends of the earth, and, and, and I've got your back. I will be with you because you will be my witnesses. So why is Samaria written there? Because God loves to reconcile Broken relationships, that's why. God loves reconciling broken relationships, broken settings, and, and broken people because he's the only one who can do it because a whole culture said, hate them, you hate them, you hate them, nothing will ever work, but God says, I want you to go to Samaria because I'm gonna reconcile broken relationships. Our ushers are gonna begin to hand out the communion elements, and so as you get those, uh, we're gonna take that in a little bit together, but... What a great time to, to use the, the phrase, God loves to heal broken relationships and reconcile broken relationships, then when you're starting to grab your, your bread and your cup to remember what he did for, for all of us. Um, so just hold on to that, and we'll, we'll take it together as we read um, Isaiah 53 in a little bit. But the reasons the Samaritans, the Samaritans were so hated, why Samaria was so despised, is because they were considered ones who had quit on the faith. They had intermarried, 
They had stopped really believing. They worshiped in the wrong way, whatever that meant. And so they were despised by the Jews because they were quitters. And, and in essence, they were ones who, who watered down the, the, the true blood and the true faith. So this moment, this Jesus, you'll be my witnesses mandate, the, the, the story of the woman at the well and the, and the parable of the Good Samaritan, that went right in the face of religion and went right to the definition of who God is in reconciling broken relationships. So Philip being called there was a huge deal. He just went where Jesus said to go. He may not have even thought about it much except for like, I'm on the move. Uh, but God was up to something huge. The first, really the first mission trip, even before Paul gets saved and sent out as a missionary, was Philip going on his first kind of evangelistic mission trip here. He goes, and, and it's this radical restoration, salvation story. The people are, are getting radically saved, and, and miracles are happening because the good news breaks down barriers. It overcomes broken relationships. And through the forgiving blood of Jesus, it makes us all one family, warts and all. Right? Because you figure the, the people from Samaria are, are being brought into the, the faith alongside Jews. There's a lot of warts going on in their minds. They're thinking, oh, he's got this and they've got that. And it's like, oh, they're less than and, and they're uh, uh, the uppity ups and, and, and these guys ruin things and these guys point fingers at us. And God's saying one family, one family, warts and all. And he doesn't bring us together and say, now nobody's ever going to have a struggle ever again. You're never going to sneer at somebody. He says, come, be a family, grow together be changed together, put, get on the potter's wheel and let me fashion and form all of you and, and don't worry about what's happened over here, just, just rejoice with what I'm doing on this side of the aisle and that side of the aisle so that there's no more aisle because God restores broken relationships in families. Everyone he's brought into this church family or whatever church family you may be a part of, there are warts there. But he says, I'm the, I'm the fixer of things, I'm the, I'm the reconciler of things, I'm the one who restores so this amazing story is happening there. And so, so Philip goes back to Jerusalem to report about it. And, and, and he's probably thinking, as soon as I get this report done, I'm back over there because it's exciting. And he's like, I want to get back there. I got to be on the ground floor of this amazing work. So I'm going to get back there and, and, and I'm going to be a part of this. And, and we see that, that God had a different plan. And in verse 26, he reveals the plan to Philip who's probably rightfully thinking, I'm going back. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He just said, okay, an angel just told me I'm going, right? So he started out and he met a treasurer, the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, I don't know, the queen of Ethiopia. Candace is another word that you might have in your Bible. Um, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over. He heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up in the carriage and sit with him. You see, we have this daily guide who's our counselor, the Holy Spirit. He tells us 
things we need to know and do. He shows us where to go, when to go, and to whom we go. And, and it's a crazy setting because Jerusalem to Gaza is about a 50-mile desert road, very off the beaten path. Nobody really went on it because it was hot and miserable. Think uh, if you had a desert road for 50 miles in August in Texas and you had to, uh, no AC in your car. That's what, that's what the angel said, go and do that. So not many people were on the road, and it just so happens that there's this carriage, and, and you know, this caravan carrying the treasurer of Ethiopia, who just happened to be reading Isaiah chapter 53. So Philip, you know, jogs up next to him, he's like, hey, what you reading? I heard you, you know, and I don't, I picture him jogging up and catching up to the carriage. I don't know how slow they were going, but typically we walk slower than like horses carry us. Uh, and he's like, I don't know if he's taller at the moment so he can see in. I don't know what the scene looked like, but he got up there and the guy's reading out loud and he's like, hey, it's good reading. And the guy's like, I don't understand anything. I can't figure this out. I don't know if he's talking about himself or, or someone else. And Philip's like, oh, I know, I know. That guy saved me. This is written 700 years ago, bro. No, no, it's written about a friend that saved me. In fact, I watched him fly up in the clouds earlier. Uh, you know, so like, this is the scene we get. So if you're reading about somebody from 700 years earlier and he said, oh, I just saw him, he saved me, and then he flew in the clouds, I'd be like, come on in. Come on in, tell me, tell me about him. So as he says, I don't understand, I don't know, that was Philip's sign from the Holy Spirit to begin to tell the story of Jesus. So he starts in this same Isaiah 53 passage that's a prophecy of, of the suffering that Jesus would do for us, go through for us, and he explains the good news of Jesus, his birth, his life on earth, his mock trial and crucifixion, his resurrection, the call to belief and baptism, and that there's forgiveness of sin and in this eternal redemption, reconciled relationship with the God of creation. And as luck would have it, jokingly speaking, there just happened to be some kind of a pool or a pond in the middle of the desert. And after Philip tells him, the guy goes, hey, there's some water. Why don't I be baptized? Get me dunked for Jesus. And they're like, sure. And they go and they do that. And then as soon as he comes out of the water, Philip disappears and is in another town. That's the story for a different day too, uh, whatever that means. But like... He, the Ethiopian, he was a seeker who didn't understand. You're going to have those all around you all the time. People who want to know why they're here, but they don't know where to go for the answer. There's your sign. The Holy Spirit saying, when that person says, I don't know why I'm here, tell them about Jesus. This guy ended up going, I want to believe. In fact, I do believe. In fact, I want to be like this Jesus. So should I get baptized so that I can do that, that water thing and, and identify with the resurrection of Jesus? And it's like, sure. Philip saw an opportunity. The Holy Spirit led him to, and he did it. He didn't let the squeezing make him go into hiding. He let the squeezing bring him to do things that change people's lives forever. So as we take communion today, let's be in awe of of what God's done in our lives. Let's make relationships right with Jesus and with each other. Let's place ourselves in position to, to hear and to walk in that. Let's say yes to, to Jesus. Whatever your Savior is asking of you.
messages and full services, visit hcfburnit.org or the Church Center app and connect with us on social media.